Ascenta Insights. I'm your host, Nanda Felding, a senior partner at Ascenta Partners, an executive search firm in London, where I run the global consumer and brand practice. The pandemic has inspired us to take a fresh approach to our business and leverage one of our greatest assets, our global network of executives. We have launched this Ascenta Insights series to answer specific business questions across many business critical topics. In this episode, we continue to stay close to home as our collaborator, Johanna Krisha, is our guest speaker. She's a tech entrepreneur and founder of the management consultancy Krisha Co. Her consultancy works with organizations looking to innovate, go through a business transformation and lead through divergence. She's worked on an innovation projects with companies like Jaguar Land Rover and McLaren. Previously, she was the head of strategy at Rolls-Royce Motorcars. Before joining Rolls-Royce, she held management positions within BMW Group in Germany, the US and Sweden. Most companies are aware of the importance of diversity, yet Johanna shares some interesting insights in terms of the why, but also the how to increase gender diversity levels. To return the favor, I have nominated myself as her Toastmaster of today. Johanna, over to you. Thank you, Nanda. Happy to share my thoughts with our audience. Are you a leader looking to be the most innovative in your industry, stay agile and able to change and generate better results on the financial bottom line? If the answer is yes to this, I invite you on a journey where I will explain how diversity and inclusion can work for you and how your organization will benefit from it. So, Let's start by clarifying what I understand under diversity in the context of this podcast. When speaking of diversity, I speak about the demographic diversity, meaning gender, religion, culture, and ethnic background. In this podcast, my focus will be on gender, as most of my work experience has been around this area. This is not a reflection on the importance of all aspects of diversity. And all of these areas have to be addressed to achieve the best organizational outcome. Many of the concepts I will speak about apply across the kaleidoscope that is diversity today. Nanda outlined the concept developed by Matthew Syed on cognitive diversity, namely differences in perspective, insights, experiences, and thinking styles. Cognitive and demographic diversity are linked as cognitive diversity is more prevalent in organizations with a demographically diverse workforce. To solve complex problems and respond timely to shifts in the market, a team with a varied background are able to respond and come up with out-of-the-box solutions quicker, whereas a team with a homogeneous background confirm each other's ideas and can leave blind spots and thereby miss arising opportunities. Now, I will go through some of the statistics in business, both in the corporate world and in the startup field. It is relevant to look at both areas, as the latter one gives an indication to which companies are going to lead the way in the coming years. Many startups are today linked with the tech sector, with digital, 
AI and blockchain technology. In theory, this should offer an opportunity for more diverse team structures. Let me start with the corporate world, though. I mentioned right in the beginning of this podcast that diversity helps you to achieve your financial and strategic goals. In McKinsey's report, Diversity Wins, which focuses on UK and US businesses, they conclude that the most gender-diverse companies outperform the least diverse by 48%. In the case of ethnical diversity, the diverse companies outperform the least diverse by 36%. The same report shows that both gender and ethnical diverse companies outperform laggards on both innovation and financial performance. The gap is increasing, meaning the laggards are falling further behind. Furthermore, CTAM research highlights that the UK economy and company shareholders are missing out on a whopping 47 billion in pre-tax profits due to lack of diversity. Companies with at least 33% female executives have a net profit 10 times that of companies with no female executives. Yet, the progress is slow. In Fortune 500 companies, the proportion of female CEOs is at 7.4%, which in itself is an all-time high. To make the figure a little bit more relatable, for parents that have both a son and a daughter, today it is almost 14 times likelier that the son becomes a CEO in a Fortune 500 company than an equally bright and well-educated daughter. Diversity brings profit to the bottom line of companies, as diverse companies are more innovative, have a positive work culture, and understand their customers better. Today, around 80% of purchase decisions are made by the female in the household. With a higher degree of women participating in the active workforce than ever, they are also more likely than not to be the sole decision maker. Organizations that reflect society around them are better at understanding it. Shinzo Abe, the Japanese prime minister, has put female economic empowerment on top of his agenda as female participation in the workforce is critical for Japan's future. This was inspired by Kathy Matsui, the Goldman Sachs strategist who coined the term womenomics. She believes that by decreasing the female employment gap and getting women into full-time work, Japan could increase its GDP by 15%. This shows how diversity benefits both society as well as business in the end of the day. Many organizations know that diversity brings benefits to their business and financial performance, but are caught in their daily operations and act under financial strain, meaning there is no time to consider change or management simply don't know where to start. In the current pandemic hit world, many companies choose to postpone new initiatives or discontinue existing ones. Many business experts predict that sustainability and diversity programs will be adversely affected. I would personally encourage organizations to use the momentum of change that they have experienced throughout this period to focus even more on these areas 
as it will make them stronger coming out of their economic challenges in the current world. Imogen Joss reflected in her episode on strategy on how companies do not need to focus on their why or what at this volatile time, but on the how, as this certainly needs to be addressed. Johanna, you mentioned startups in the beginning. I'm curious to know more about that. Oh, sure. Thank you, Nanda, for reminding me. If we look at the next generation of FTSE 100 or S&P 500, namely the startups that are currently receiving investment, what does diversity look like here? The picture is somewhat sobering, with 75% of funding in the US going to all white male founder teams. About 3% of investment goes to female founded businesses. I'm just going to let that number sink in, 3%. The number of female and ethnic minority entrepreneurs keeps rising though. But they tend to build their businesses ground up without outside investment, which means slower growth, less cash to invest, and more importantly, they have a limited network to tap into for advice and business opportunities. There are VCs focusing on investing in diverse founding teams, and other VCs are starting to look at the diversity aspect as part of their investment strategy. This is driven by the fact that partners at VCs are also becoming more diverse, with women and ethnical minorities entering the investment teams. I am hopeful that within five to 10 years, this will have a huge positive impact and we will see even more innovative and diverse startups. Great. I think you've given quite a lot of background now. What can organizations specifically do? You're right, Nanda. Enough of the background. We have evidence that diverse teams generate highly successful and profitable companies. Still, progress is slow for both the corporate and the startup world. Which measures can be put in place to increase diversity in organizations? I will present seven fundamental measures that have been proven successful in organizations across industries and markets. I have been thinking about some clever acronym for this, but so far I've been unsuccessful, so I'm just going to list them. Here we go. Point number one is commitment. The executive leadership of an organization needs to believe that having a diverse workforce is a strategically critical pillar to achieve their business objectives. If this mindset shift has not taken place, the best laid plans will not be successful. As Billie Jean King, the tennis legend, puts it, when you let women in, business does better. The CEO will ultimately be owner and drive initiatives that are business critical. Implementation can be delegated to HR or a diversity function, but the ownership stays at the top. An organization needs to start by understanding their status quo to create transparency on where they are. What's the makeup of the workforce in terms of age, gender, and ethnicity? Also look at factors like pay gaps, part-time employment, and other factors that influence employee careers. Combining these findings and key business objectives, management needs to develop a strategic plan 
on how to integrate and reach the diversity goals. This includes measures like attracting and retaining talent, mentoring programs, and many more measures. Put the plan into a time frame and follow up on it on a regular base with the regular business reviews. The success of the diversity plan can be measured on the bottom line profit as outlined below. To measure diversity on profit gives an incentive for even the most skeptical business leaders to pursue these plans. Point number two is bold goals. As a business saying goes, what doesn't get measured doesn't get done. Set aspirational goals that have a real positive impact long term. I mentioned that companies with 33% female executives perform better. Setting the goal at 10% and achieving it is pointless. Setting it at 33% and missing by three is already a great phenomenal achievement. This would be polar opposite to the so-called SMART goals where achievability stands in focus. I say be bold. By measuring the goals, it creates transparency and progress can be reviewed and addressed within the organization. Many companies such as Accenture, Google, Facebook publish their diversity data, meaning it stays top of mind for the company executive teams. Point number three is anchoring. I mentioned that the responsibility ultimately sits with the CEO. It is equally important though, that diversity initiatives get assigned owners throughout the business that keep pushing the agenda and make sure that the measures put in place are implemented. With my clients and in my own career, I have met several white men that believe in diversity and drive it in their organization. Like, for example, Jan Askholm, the MD of BMW in Denmark. My point is that today men sit on the majority of management positions. Many of them are proponents of diversity and willing and able to drive the change. This does, of course, not preclude women or people from ethnic minorities to drive the change in the organization, as their perspective is imperative for change to happen. Anchoring initiatives in the organization ensures a higher degree of success. Too often, these initiatives get parked with HR or diversity functions and are not fully integrated across the business units. Point number four is career planning. Having spoken to business partners about what they see as key to developing talent, it is to have career plans set early for employees. This plan is adapted as employees progress throughout their career and develop new skills and leadership qualities. It leads to accountability both for the employee and the organization to ensure that things are going according to plan, so to speak. Research shows that female and ethnic minority employees get consistently undervalued in their performance and quickly fall behind in salary and career opportunities. There is a prevailing unconscious bias that is holding them back. By having documented previous performance, at least some of those obstacles can be avoided. The bias can lead to assumptions that women, for example, end up leading difficult teams that demand more empathy and time, resulting in them spending more time on people management rather than business management. 
This means that women miss out on the positions where you can show big deals, numbers, and promote yourself. One of my clients started working actively, giving women the visible management positions and female promotion levels immediately started rising. Included in career planning is parental leave. In this podcast, I am not going to dive into details of it. Just remember that organizations that proactively plan for parental leave and ensure that people have a realistic workload the first months coming back from parental leave sets both the individual and the organization up for better success. Point number five is representation. The statistics that I mentioned in the beginning showed representation of women and ethnic minorities on executive level. Companies that have greater diversity in their top management are more successful in attracting diverse talent. We all tend to look at role models that are similar to ourselves. By having diverse representation on the top level, companies experience a positive rather than a vicious circle of being able to attract and retain the best talent. Nandas brilliantly spoke about Talent 2.0 in last week's episode, and I would like to quote her. Diverse talent hires diverse talent who innovate and who create a more agile and harmonious environment where business can stay ahead of its competition. Point number six is mentorship. Mentoring can improve employee satisfaction and retention, make your organization more appealing to new recruits, and also, as an added bonus, train your leaders. Define the objectives of the mentorship program at the very beginning and engage with managers that are interested and willing to dedicate time to develop talent. For the mentees, it offers an opportunity to build a network within the organization, develop a career plan that expands beyond their current business unit, and reflect on wider issues like work-life balance, leadership, and even corporate culture. Mentors have a chance to learn more about the operations of the business, develop their own leadership style, and learn more about the unique challenges for women and minority groups, and can thereby make tangible changes in the business. I have benefited greatly from having mentors throughout both my corporate as well as entrepreneurial career. My mentors have been both female and male. The females have been able to relate more to the maybe unique challenges I have experienced as a young career woman. One of the most experienced and successful women in the industry once advised me, if you experience sexist comments without opposition in the room, step out of the room. You should never excuse your own presence. Instead, the bully should explain his or her behavior. The point being that don't accept too much. Point number seven is market opportunity. I now want to move outside the organization and look beyond for business opportunities. Tina Aronsen Williamson at Above and Beyond has developed the concept of opportunity map. She suggests that organizations should explore where and how they can find hidden womenomics potentials which in most cases would be a multiplier for your existing business. In her book, Womenomics, companies such as De Bear and BMW Group 
highlight how they have changed their customer and marketing strategy to attract new female customer groups. The opportunity mapping can be developed further to include new segments and markets. These are more easily identifiable for representatives, of course, from these areas. Harvard Business Review states that the female economy is estimated to be at $28 trillion. The growth of this market is more than double that of India and China. This is an opportunity no business wants to pass on. So, by having a diverse team, it also ensures that the marketing and sales strategies are in tune with new segments that your organization is trying to reach. Getting the message wrong can be costly and have long-term negative reputational effects for the company. A mistake easily avoided by having a team with diverse points of view. Absolutely agreed. And given all that we've talked about, what would be the main takeaways you would give to our global audience? Well, to sum up, I would like to give our listeners a few takeaways. Number one, organizations will need to go through an authentic mindset shift and then commit to a diverse strategy. Set bold goals that when reached have an actual positive impact, both financially for employees and for your customers. Do individual career planning based on talent and skills rather than stereotyping based on gender or ethnical background. Lastly, measure the success of diversity in your organization on the financial bottom line, just as you would measure any other strategic project. Thank you, Johanna. And I particularly like the seven fundamental measures you shared, which I trust will be inspirational for our audience as well. Next week, we will deep dive into the other element of DNI, inclusion, and specifically the secret sauce to ensuring high inclusion levels throughout your organization. We have the pleasure of welcoming Lucy Sorrentini, founder and CEO of Impact Consulting, a minority and women-owned management consulting firm. They are specialized in talent and OD and diversity, equity, and inclusion strategies and solutions. We look forward to welcoming you back as our audience. And please consider subscribing to the Ascenta Insights podcast so you don't miss the next episode.